This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 195, and I am interviewing Danny Adams. I'm a pound cake body image coach, activist, and writer about how fat phobia impacts Black communities, the adultification of Black girls, medical fat phobia, as well as how racism intersects with medical fat phobia, and how that influences our well-being and so much more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 195. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to uh, Seeking Body Acceptance that lift this amazing review. Love, love, love it. This podcast is great for working on positive body image. I struggle with this daily and Summer's show makes it a little bit easier. She is direct with her guests and has great questions. Thank you for doing the show. Thank you so much, Seeking Body Acceptance. I really appreciate that. You can leave a review for this show. It helps others to find what you are learning here by going to iTunes, click ratings and reviews. Well, first you got to search for Eat the Rolls, then click ratings and reviews, and then click to leave a review. You can also subscribe to the show and that helps me out, Uh, helps others to find this show and bumps it up in the ratings instead of all those keto podcasts. And lastly, you can get, don't forget to get the brand new 10 day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. This episode is really timely. I happened to be interviewing Danny um, just days after the death of Micaiah Bryant. And she talks about this for a little bit in the beginning of the podcast as she just starts to speak to the way that fat black women and specifically young girls are are treated in our culture and the stereotypes around that and how that likely influenced the the killing of of Micaiah Bryant and so um, just a lot to kind of learn and, and open my eyes to in this episode. And I was just so grateful that um, she brought this up and and also just really candidly shares her experiences with medical fat phobia and how and how racism intersects with that and, and, and uh, where the real gaps are in our system and how specifically uh, the during this pandemic, our medical system has really failed uh, individuals in marginalized bodies, whether that's uh, people of color or 
uh, disabled people or, uh, yeah, just other individuals with marginalized identities and, um, and, and what we need to do better. I learned so much from this episode and I think that you will too. I really want to give a big shout out to Danny because my neighbor was sawing and sanding. And, uh, even though my window was closed, it was so loud. (laughs) And so through this whole thing, there's like this sawing noise that she's trying to talk over. And hopefully, I'm assuming my editor cut out that sound because he because we record two tracks. So he records my audio and then the, the person I'm interviewing, they're recorded on two separate tracks. And so but just giving a shout out to her ability to be able to like speak and not be interrupted and distracted by the noise. Because when I listen to the I, I have... Uh, noise canceling headphones on. So when I record these things, I wear noise canceling headphones. So I didn't really hear it. Like I could kind of hear it. It was a little dull, but I I really didn't think the mic was picking it up that much. And then when I listened to the playback, like it is so loud. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, she had to listen to that while she was answering these questions through the whole thing. So anyways, it just, just want to give a shout out because that takes some serious skills (laughs) because I don't think I would have been able to do that. And uh, that's just the nature of this time of year. Like when it's nice out where I live, everyone (laughs) comes out and does yard work and renovations. And it's just, it's like constant. It's actually right now, you might even be able to hear it. Like it's just constant stuff like banging and breaking and (laughs) being mowed and like cut down. And uh, anyways, it's, it's, um, there's not much I can do about it. Because even with the window closed, you can usually hear it. But this episode's really important. And I really appreciate Danny taking the time to be here. For those of you that don't know, uh, Danny Adams otherwise goes by I'm a pound cake. I'm trying really hard to say that properly. But as like a Canadian white girl here, she sort of laughed at me when I tried to say it. So you'll hear her say it uh, towards the end, Uh, is an activist, coach and uh, facilitator and content creator, pop culture enthusiast, black feminist and entertainer, as well as a body image coach. And uh, she has a big voice in the um, fat positive world and writes for curvy fashionista and has a pretty big presence on Instagram, and I'm really pleased to have her here today. Let's get started with the show. Hello, Danny. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for being here today. As always, we kind of start with having the guest share a little bit about their story and, um, you know, how you got into fat activism and and body image coaching. You know, how, how did you get to where you are today? So that's interesting. So I can think as early as being like a a young child, really like identifying as a fat person. And I've always like wanted to be included in like making sure that I was like represented in something. Um, And so I just remember like uh, the first time I started reading about fat phobia. I was in this like black feminist class at FSU. Shout out to all my knows. And yeah, I think that I remember like walking up to my teacher and my professor and being like, yo, I know you gave us this assignment on feminism, but I've been in this class for a while and nothing is about me. Like I see that you have black feminist stuff, but like there is nothing about being like a fat black woman. And I was like, can I do my own research and not use the literature that you have? And that is so me to like 
break all rules. And she was like, yeah, but it has to be this, this, and that. And so anyway, make a long story short, that was like my first time like getting into like like academia and like reading about the experiences of fat people. So I grew up with lots of fat people. My mom's fat, my uncles are fat, my brother's fat. And so being around fat people was so normal, but I, I just always knew we had a different experience. But specifically how I got into my body image coaching, you know, I've been doing body, like helping people with this for like a long time. Um, and as I was like telling my story, people kept asking me, like, how can I, uh, how can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? Um, and so I took a few workshops and I was like, I got to get serious about this. Um, and so last year I officially started, um, I, I take on a limited amount of clients right now, but I hope in the future that I can take on more clients because I'm not a full-time body image coach. And so that's kind of like my journey is like, I know it is like so necessary, like outside of a therapist, like I think people who, uh, have body image issues, but also just people who want to check in, right. They just need some support for a moment. Um, I think body image coaching is so important. Um, and I've just grown to love and doing it. And so I encourage everyone to talk to a body image coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, as we talked about offline, like, I feel like your, you know, your particular lived experience is like so important in that realm, because, yeah, there's just, I think it's, you know, it's dominated by like, mostly people like myself in, you know, with like a more uh, privileged body and as well as, um, you know, being I'm a white person. And I think a lot of the other body image coaches, at least the ones that like, I've sort of interacted with tend to be white as well. So I feel like it's like so needed to have your own, you know, perspective and, and lived experience to help others who who share that same experience. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I think like, like therapy, right? Like, I think therapy is so important. And like, for me, I, my last three therapists have, have been black women. And like, my experience has been like, completely different. Now, I won't say that they all have really understood fat phobia. But a body image coach who understands fat phobia could just definitely be beneficial, like working with my therapist or, you know, like, uh, just helping me outside of therapy. And so as a fat black woman, I think it's so important for just people to understand that our experiences are are so are, are so different. Like our bodies, like I, I'm not just fat, um, right? Like I can never just be fat. Um, and and something that just is really telling of that is Micaiah Bryant, who we 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 just recently learned was murdered by the police, a 16 year old girl who called the police because uh, she was afraid that she was going to get jumped. Um, and by the time the police got there, she had a knife in her hand, was in an altercation, and the police shot her dead. And so it just makes me think about like how even when you are a, a fat person, but coupled that with being black, coupled with that with being femme, um, how there is this fear of your body and how even sometimes it's, it's a fear to even live in your body, right? Like, when encountering, uh, encountering um, different forms of white supremacy. And so I, I do think it's important that there are black body image coaches, but specifically more fat black femmes who are body image coaches, who have very uh, um, similar lived experiences uh, to their clients. Um, I encourage more fat black femmes to become body image coaches um, because I think it's just so, so needed. Um, and I hope to see more over the next couple of years. 
Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Micaiah Bryant. And one of the things you wrote about yesterday, which which I reshared in my stories was just how like the sort of like stereotype of of like being the bully because you're in like a, a, a larger body as a, as a black person. And that was something that I had never really um, thought it, like that was just, you know, probably most likely like an internalized bias that I had never really uncovered and thought about in that way. And I thought that that connection was really important to call out. Yeah, you know, it's so funny um, that, well, not funny, but interesting. Um, earlier that day, I had therapy when I was writing it and I was uh, trying to explain fat phobia to my therapist. My therapist doesn't really understand fat phobia, but she's reading and she's learning and she's supporting me in other ways. She's not, she's useful, but she doesn't understand fat phobia in a way that I think will will help me. So I, I do spend a, a bit of time explaining this. So I kind of broke something down about love and how Ursula is just this monster and we we meet her as a monster. Um Ursula from the Little Mermaid, by the way. I don't know if that if Yes, that's I know it. what you're talking um, about. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um but Ursula from Little Mermaid, she we meet her as this monster. Um and so I like to think of her as a fat black woman and like, you know, she's she's dark in character, dark in you know, in spirit and, and she's angry all the time. And like, that is the way that I think that people perceive fat black women. That is the way fat black women are put on television. And, you know, telling what, putting what I said on the internet yesterday, so many fat black women wrote me stories of their encounters with the police, encounters with uh, school resource officers, school officials, by that they, they did not hear them or believe them when they said that, hey, I'm being bullied. Even myself, right? I remember as a little kid being suspended from the school. I went to a predominantly white elementary school. And a little bit of context about Sanford, like it wasn't up until five or six years that the federal government stopped regulating our um our school board because it was just that segregated and our school board like refused to follow the law. And so the federal government had to stay here even after segregation this long, like this long to help the, the school board basically um, integrate. And so that speaks to what kind of school I went to. I loved it, but I will say that I remember being suspended from school because a white girl said that I said that I was a bully and I was going to beat her up. And I remember being a little kid going to my boys and girls club after that, that afternoon saying, this doesn't even sound like something black people say. Um, And I remember saying that as a little kid, right? And like, there's no thing that really black people say that, whatever. But my point as a little kid is like, I recognize that like I was just a perceived as a bully to her by default. Like I'm sure there was a lot of racism in there, but also I know that this little girl probably also learned the bully is fat and bullies are also black. And so being fat and black, there is no way in her little mind that I can be anything other than a bully. And she was new to school and she was like sitting across and it was so crazy because I'm the one who gave her the tour of the school. Um, And so it does not matter. Uh, That's why the fat, fat, jolly person does not really protect fat black people because fat black people can be very nice and still be perceived as the bully, the aggressor. And in the case of Micaiah, she called the police. Right. And so people that 
we pay to protect us. She called those people to protect her, right? And like she said that she was being bullied, and right, and then these folks came to her house, and you know she's she's not being seen as a child at all, right? Like we've heard news outlets call her woman already, and so all of these different things, and we know what type of body has been deemed the bully, the aggressor. And and that cop in his mind probably thought, wow, she has to be the bully. She has the knife. She her body, her skin fits, her body fits, um, the stereotype. And he killed her. And and that's someone who just went to high school where there was resource officers. While I'm not a fan of officers being in school, I wanna say that when resource officers encounter young people at school with weapons. I just didn't see kids getting shot on my campus. Um, and so it was just really troubling and just seeing a lot of the responses of people just automatically seeing her as the bully and not a victim of harm, right? And I think about how that trickulates into sexual assault um, because none of these things are like absent from one another. Like if you perceive me as a bully or if you cannot see me as a victim here, I don't believe that you could see me as a victim in any facet of my life. And so um, because I'm not a human, uh, I'm, 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 I'm a monster. Um, and just like George Floyd was a monster, this belief that Mike Brown ran through bullets is, you know, it's because he was fat and black. Uh, Eric Garner being, uh, you know, a, a big uh that black person, right? And like, he needed four people to hold him down for selling cigarettes because he is a monster. And, and a lot of obesity was brought up in the case of Eric Gardner. And so again, like, we know that like uh, medical fat phobia exists and also racism exists. Um, fat phobia just, out, you know, in any spectrum exists. And it is very violent specifically to fat black people. And, and I'm, you know, I'm also wanting to say, like, this isn't limited to fat black people. Right. Um, because uh, we know that fat people of color also experience uh, a level of like police violence. But anti-blackness is still at the core of that. And it's really important that we start talking about fat phobia in, the, in this type of way. Yeah, yeah, you said uh, so many important things there. And, you know, it just kind of reminded me of I remember Sonia Renee Taylor in one of her just one of her like Instagram live IGTV videos. Just I, and I can't and I and now because, you know, there's just been so many of these murders that have been brought to light in the mass media this year, I mean, because obviously they were happening prior, but just now getting more media attention. But I can't remember in the context of which one she was talking about, but just saying like, I don't need to defend my humanity, like, you know, like, like to justify why, like as a black uh, person, I get to exist. And it just sort of reminded me of that, of her saying that, because, you know, when people argue against what happened, like when they argue in favor of the police, they're essentially like trying to say that, you know, this person doesn't deserve humanity. You know what I mean? Like the, the victim. You mentioned, you know, just medical thought phobia and, and, and it's, you know, specifically uh, like how that relates to uh, racism as well when you were just talking there. And I know you wrote an article called The Damaging Impact of Weight Stigma in Healthcare. And in that piece, you share just a couple of your own personal experiences having experienced medical fat phobia. Do you mind sharing some of those? 
No, I don't mind. Yeah, I think that um, for me, I, I, I can't think of a time in my life that I didn't experience some type of medical fat phobia because I think that like even as a child, I think as a child, like doctors are already in their mind that like if you don't lose, you know, if you don't lose weight, you don't become smaller. Um, you're going to be the statistics that they already have read about. Right. And so I just one of my earliest memories of medical fat phobia is just being a kid at the doctor's office and my, my doctor seeing that, I, you know, have hyperpigmentation. Um, and they told my mom, like, hey, that hyperpigmentation means that she has diabetes or that she's on her way to diabetes. And so um, I remember, like, crying. I don't want I don't want diabetes. My mom was crying because she couldn't get me to stop crying. And like I, I was a little girl it was causing me a lot of stress. My grandma had di- has diabetes. Well, she's not my real grandma, but. I'm Southern and I'm Black, so, like, older people become <laughs> a particular relative to you, um, <laughs> um, even if they are not really your relative. So, but anyway, like, so someone that's like a grandma, I called her, and my mom called her, tried to get her to console me. And so one of the things about medical fat phobia that, that I think uh, even when you're a young child and you're fat, that I think doctors really should not d- discuss your weight. With you as a child without your parents' permission, I I think that's really important. Like, I think that should just be a standard, right? Like, uh, as a child, I I, I do, I I think that, like, diet should not be pushed on me by by my physician or uh, or by a physician. And then I also think that that medical fat phobia causes a rift between parents and their child, right? Your doctor is saying, hey, the way that you look, the way that you are is wrong. You're sick. You're going to there's all these things about you that is causing you that is going to cause you an early death. And that's the way that they talk about it. I'm not saying that I believe that, but that's the way that it is discussed. And so uh, as a little kid, a doctor shouldn't talk to you like that. Um, And so I remember um, just like, you know, is this my mom's fault? I know my mom was thinking she did something to me um, and not that I was experiencing discrimination. And especially there's this thing about like when you are fat and you are black. I know a lot of, you know, non-black fat people experience medical fat phobia, but there's also this thing that we have that Black moms are not good moms already. Um, and my mom also was fat. And so she she is also experiencing this level of discrimination, even if um, they are discussing me. It's about like her being a bad parent. She made me this way. And so, yeah, like I just remember that very, very young and it just has never stopped. Like I don't have diabetes. Um, and so, you know, all of that pressure that the doctor was putting on my mom when I was a little girl I was in like elementary school right it's like non-existent now I'm, I'm fast still have hyperpigmentation and also just lets me know that my doctor does didn't understand hyperpigmentation um because like a, a lot of people have hyperpigmentation and it has little to do with 
with having diabetes for some people. And so, so transitioning into like my adult life and going to the doctor and now I have to defend myself. I remember a couple of years ago, I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was oh, like considered high or whatever. And I just got this lecture from the physician about how I needed to stop eating Chinese food and like I needed to lose weight and all of these different things. And like, and they never asked me anything. And, and what the truth was, was that my dad was in the hospital. I just found out my dad was in the hospital and I was stressed and, and my blood pressure, my blood pressure was high. And so uh, we don't uh, take into account how stress affects health, period. Um, and so that's really important for doctors to consider. Like, and there's no relationship between patients and doctors anymore, period, because it's like these 15 minute 20 minute visits and get you out. And so I, I think like that's one of the major concerns with the uh, medical um, industry right now anyway. Um, but I also think like there is no room for fat people to uh, have other issues in their life. Again, like fat people aren't human. So fat people can't be stressed about other things. It's because they ate Chinese food that whatever is happening in, in their life is impacted, isn't impacting their health. But it's more about what they ate is impacting um, their health. And so, uh, e you know, even a time, you know, I fell off a bicycle and I got lectured about, you know, my eating when I came there for uh, something that anybody of any size could have went to the doctor for. And that's falling off of a bicycle. I was riding on a bicycle in heels. And that is so me, by, by the way, you know, like. I'm like, it's okay. I, I'm a pro. I can walk and run in heels. Why couldn't I ride a bicycle in heels? And so I was riding a bike in the hills downtown Orlando, and I tried to make a turn. And I fell. And, I mean, I was having real bad pain. And so um, I went to the doctor, and they were like, well, you know, I just want to let you know that you got to lose weight in order for this to go away. And I'm like, but I fell off, uh, I fell off a bicycle. And so, yeah, it's just all different types of form. Like I'm not, it, you know, my pain isn't believed as a black person or as a fat person, you know, like people of all sizes can fall off a bicycle. I remember I fell off a bicycle and I was a little girl and I broke my arm. And so I was riding the back of the bicycle with my brother and he fell on me on top of the bicycle and I broke my arm. Um, and I was, you know, I was, you know, smaller then. And so, yeah, these things, it, uh, also, just again, I think that we must talk about it in a way that we address like mental health, the anxiety that I feel sometimes with going to the doctor's office, just because I, I think about like, are you going to see me as a human being? who, you know, has different layers in their life, or are you just going to look at the weight, look at the BMI and, uh, you know, and say, hey, you're an unhealthy person and you could come in here for a migraine, but it's because, you know, you ate McDonald's today. And which is, that is exactly, I mean, I'm being facetious about it, but that is exactly what I feel like my experience is when I go to the doctor's office. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing is the impact is kind of twofold. It's like, it's like one, the impact on your mental health with the actual visit. So the anxiety and not getting the care you need. And then two, like being misdiagnosed or not having your issue even looked at because they're just seeing your body and giving you, you know, just like really lazy, inaccurate advice to just lose weight. Yeah. And, and you know, I also think about how it's a waste of money. Um, like, 
we pay for those visits. I mean, I'm sure it's different in Canada, but we pay for those visits here, right? Like I think about taking off work. Like yesterday I went to the doctor and I took off work to go to the doctor. And so there are so many different layers of cost that is associated with that visit. And so is it, you know, like, is it fair for fat people to pay for the same amount uh, as someone who is thin and not get the same service. And also, right, like doctors have a duty to provide care, the highest form of care, and that should not change because we are fat. It should not change because we are black. should not change because we are trans. It shouldn't be trans because disabled. Like all of those things, right, like, you know, um, all of those uh, different biases that people hold, they show up and they show up when and when people are caring for marginalized people. And it causes us to die. I think about Dr. Susan Moore, who died this past summer. She was in the hospital for COVID. And basically, uh, she recorded her death, death, like she recorded how she was being treated for 12 days. And for 12 days, she recorded how she was being treated at the hospital and she was a doctor herself. And as a fat black woman, she was not her pain was not believed. It didn't matter that she was an MD like uh, she had trained some of the people who were caring for her. And that is uh, something that is very important to talk about, um, because. You know, a, a black woman's education it, it, about her own body, even if she doesn't have a degree, right, about her own, like her, her understanding of her own body doesn't matter. But even being educated, even be a facilitator in that hospital, it was like, oh, well, you, you wouldn't know, right? Your pain isn't believed. Um, and so uh, Dr. Susan Moore died, right? And, and her death could have been prevented. And, and that's not uncommon, even before COVID, you know, fat people were dying, black people were dying due to malpractice. And so COVID just like heightened that and just medical discrimination um, in itself or whoever is experiencing it, right? Like it is wrong. And especially like if it's preventable, right? Like we deserve quality care. Yes. Yes. As it relates to COVID, that's what I wanted to ask you about. You know, there's this there. There's a lot of like obviously um, like news headlines that say that uh, there's a link between body size and and COVID, and you know that's kind of been uh, like Christy Harrison wrote a good post, sort of de- debunking all that. But what I'm sort of hearing is like the, the you know they they don't account for this influence of medical fat phobia. Like if they're not getting the same, if people in larger bodies don't get the same treatment, then like obviously. COVID is going to be more damaging to to them because they're not getting the same level of care. Yeah, I read that and it was really, really good. Actually, <laughs> it was really, really good. You know, that's interesting because I, I think that when there's messages that fat people are going to die anyway, I personally believe that people are going to be less likely to save them. Now, I don't have any proof of that, but I think we have some case studies where we can say before COVID, fat people were misdiagnosed before COVID. Fat people weren't diagnosed at all right uh we we know we can say um before covid there was an equipment that was uh, that was able to accommodate all fat bodies and so what does that mean in covid when we're we're filled with beds right what resources are there to accommodate fat people what 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 biases are there like are, are, are hospitals actually training people about fat phobia and the answer is no and so in a time of a pandemic right and people 
in a time of pandemic and it's already this heightened belief that like fat people did this to themselves and so there are more likely to be ha- they are more likely to be impacted by covid so we do not want to give them the highest form of care and I, I have again i don't have any proof of that but again like our long history of case studies have shown that and so weight discrimination is definitely something that i i think that covid has exposed a little bit more and i think about like living here in florida like i don't think being fat is is a medical condition i don't but I find it very funny that everywhere I turned, there was an ad, there was a billboard about how obesity was linked to COVID. Oh, my gosh. There were billboards. Yeah, yeah. There, <laughs> there was a lot of marketing put into uh, who should protect themselves during the pandemic. And they, those folks called those things safety. Like, I remember, I forget what city I was in, but it was like, it was one on like a a bus, um, not on a bus, but like a, a bus stop. Um, there was like marketing for that um, COVID. Now they didn't just like have fat people. They had fat people who and black people on on there, but uh, of people who who were at risk for getting COVID. Um, but but it was interesting even in that in itself because that's a, that's more about discrimination, right? And like what would the pandemic have been like if there wasn't fat phobia and racism, right? And and uh, ableism in healthcare already, and I think that we we just don't have enough uh, uh, public health uh, professionals really on the side of weight discrimination. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that you said in one of the articles that you wrote is at the root. You said at the root of obesity research is the omission of racism and anti-blackness. Can you can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about like how. I think about all the time, like how whenever there's some like obesity marketing, there's usually a fat black person that is like used on the poster to talk about like eat your fruit or uh, you're at risk for this. And and so uh, when I talk about how like medical fat phobia shows up and, and how it's like the omission of race, because. Uh, we know that medical fat phobia is about getting rid of black people in general. And, 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 I, and this is directly also related to how racism uh, and police brutality is that, you know, is also related to this idea that black people are already like big. And so I, Sabrina Strings um, talks about how fat phobia would not have existed if racism didn't need um, something to help it thrive, right? Like if white people did not create racism, fat phobia would not be a thing um, because at the same time that we were demonizing fat black, fat, uh, fat black people, uh, fat white people were, were revered in Europe. And so uh, there is no conversation about how fat phobia is uh, directly linked to, to anti-blackness and a part of the a part of the reason is because we then what we'll have to do is like not make it about bodies, but how how resources are distributed. Right. Do people have access to food? And so one of the things that I'm really passionate about is access to food. And so you have um, Fannie Lou Hamer, who um, in the 60s was talking about not all fat people are well fed. And so when you associate gluttony, gluttonous with fat people and that is something that was used for with black people for a very long time, like this idea that black people are obsessed with watermelon and chicken didn't come out of 
uh, thin air. It, it came from racism. And so even in the earliest times of the 1930s, the 1920s, marketing about fat people being gluttonous or black people being gluttony, it, it was always a black person used in the marketing. And so... You know, before medical fat phobia became a thing, we had already associated gluttonous with black people. And so and that's the one of the ways that fat phobia continues to live. Um, We don't you know, one of the ways that we talk about we don't discuss how environmental racism really impacts health. And so obesity research really just talks about. Uh, how that where people are eating so much fast food, and that is a direct attack at Black people, poor Black people. When in reality, the people who eat fast food the most are middle class people. Studies show that time and time again, the people who are eating fast food is middle class people, and it doesn't matter, right, if people are eating fast food or not. But but a lot of the research. And a lot of the marketing is about black people are doing this to themselves. And so we don't create policies that are anti-racist because we don't create uh, obesity research. If they really wanted to, you know, really help fat people. And and that doesn't mean like lose weight, but they really want to help fat people and care for fat people. Then they have to attack racism. Who has access to a park that is safe, right? Not just any park, but a, a safe park. You know, like, does everybody have access to healthcare in general? What about transportation? All of those different things are, are, are rooted in racism, the way that gentrification works. You know, there's so many different things that I've talked about, like in obesity research, um, in this message of obesity about like the ways that we end obesity. Um, but we don't make sure that black people have access to those things. So uh, I remember going to the doctor and they're like, you need to exercise. You should go to the gym. But how far away is the gym? Right. And, and like, even though I don't believe that I have to do do these things. Right. Like, but. But there isn't this community and social effort, right, to tear down these different uh, levels of oppression that that people that Black people are facing in order to uh, uh, in order to uh, have a thriving Black community of, uh, of uh, for Black people to have uh, quality health for people of color in general to have quality health um, because it's definitely about making money off of. Um, fat bodies. Yeah, yeah. And so like, you know, working towards sort of like, you know, what do what do we do with this? I guess it's kind of twofold. Like for one, like, you know, what is your advice to people who are experiencing, you know, medical fat phobia? Like what are some things that you might find helpful for them to be able to say or know when they when they do go to visit the doctor? So here here's a few things. There is and well, if you have a child, right, like you can tell a physician that you uh, with a pediatrician that you do not want them to discuss your child's weight in front of them. You can send it by letter. You can have that phone call before you can uh, set up a phone call to a virtual phone call to meet with the, uh, the pediatrician um, before. And that's the same thing if you're an adult, right? Like, I think it's t- totally fine to shop for doctors. Telehealth is accessible now. Um, you can have your first visit with your doctor via telehealth and and talk to them and ask them what are their thoughts about fatness, Um what are their thoughts about fatness and and uh, do they understand weight discrimination? 
and all of these different things prior to um, visiting them as a physician. Like for me, I got rid of my doctor so fast. When my, I experienced fat phobia with my doctor, I was like, I'm out. I'm not giving you my money. I don't have time to teach you. Um, my health is so much more important. And, and, and I just shop for doctors. I also think um, that having your questions before that you have about your own health is really important is it, to do your own research. I also think that um, it's okay to tell a doctor that like, hey, you can document my weight if you, you know, if that's something that you're comfortable with. But however, I do not want to, to know how much I weigh or hear anything about my weight. And those things are like totally fine. If you get a diagnosis, try uh, going around and like meeting with other doctors. Uh, since I've been talking about like medical fat phobia and I'm also, you know, an infant and in this and learning more and more each day, right? But something that I've um, heard from a lot of different fat um, women is that they've been told that they cannot have children and they go to a doctor, right? And, and, and another doctor was say, yes, you can have children. They've had they've had babies, and so um, even even for me, I, I'm like, well, I am a testimony that fat women can have children. My brother and I were vaginal births from my mom and she was definitely a fat woman. You know, in today's time, she would be like a 26, 28. So she was definitely a super fat woman. And so the, all those things are, are uh, options for people to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, you know, like a, on a broader scale, I mean, the change really needs to happen, um, like, you know, with, within the actual medical institutions and, and that's a whole other conversation for another day. But, um, I really thank you for, for giving that all this advice and, and insight. It's been, it's been super, super informative for me. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Thank you for having me. So where can people find more of you? Yeah, you can go to armapoundcake.com. You can learn about, um, um, you can learn about body image coaching there and you can sign up to be, um, to get emails or also take workshops on how fat phobia is related to social justice that's one of my more popular classes. Um, also, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, Facebook, basically every social media as I'm a pound cake. Um, that's AMA pound cake. And yeah, that's um, I'm really mostly on Instagram and Twitter these days. Yeah, that's where I follow you on Instagram. Um, can I just ask you about the handle? Like, how, why? What? What's the significance of the name? Yeah, I'm a pound cake. So I'm really proud to be Southern and Black. Um, and so I'm a. It's just right. Like I am. Like it's Ebonics. Like we'd be like I'm a. I'm I'm a be back. Or and that means since I am gonna be coming back in American English. <laughs> so um, we, uh, that is something that I'm like, you know, I feel powerful when I say I'm a, and, and pound cake, you know, my, my great grandma was a cake lady. Um, she used to make cakes. She was the local community cake lady. And I just wanted to bring in the spirit of my grandma, but also something that like, I think that black people do a lot is like name their relatives after, a, 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 like a food item. So we have like a, a peaches, maybe have an auntie peaches or something like that. Okay. Like my mom, my mom's name is a uh, pumpkin. Um, and so like pound cake, like I'm a pound cake, like that's me. I exist in this body as a 
full fat black woman, right? Like that is Southern. That is, you know, I'm, I'm proud that my, my first language is, you know, Southern Ebonics and like, uh, I, you know, I'm very proud of speaking, um, um, African American vernacular English. And so I'm, I put it in my name. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. Thank you for thank you for sharing that because I always just wonder the context around it. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you again so much for being here. It's been it's been amazing and, and I know we could talk about so many more things. So hopefully you'll come back on in the future. Okay. Thank you for having me, Summer. I appreciate you. Thanks, Danny. Rock on. I love that interview. I learned so much from it. And um, I just think that Danny is doing such important work bringing light to all of these issues and speaking out about them. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 195. Thank you so much for being here today. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanin. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on.